Welcome to Documentary First, an inside look at a first-time filmmaker's journey. I am your host, Josh Lindsay from the Movie Proposal Podcast, and with us is our first-time filmmaker, Christian Taylor. Hello, Josh. Looks like you're on a ranch. <laughs> it does. Don't you love that cow back there? Wasn't it last time it was like directly behind your head and it was giving you horns? Yeah, maybe. I'm moving around. Now I've got the light in my face, so yeah. All right. And with us, as always, couldn't do it without him, the awesome Jason Rugg. Hey there. Hello, Jason. Hey, Jason. You're, you look different today, like almost tan. What's <laughs> going on with your lighting? I don't know what's up with my camera. I, I just, it's not on auto um, color. I, don't, I can't remember the color. By balance. Yeah. 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 The color temperature. It's not on auto color temperature, but it keeps shifting. And so I'll change my lights to be more blue or orange. And I still just end up with, I, I don't know. I look like Donald Trump, but um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know why. I don't know why I, I got to tear it down. Start over. <laughs> You're All a right. mess. Yeah. <laughs> and with us today is the awesome. Is this your second time on the podcast? Mindy Cook, she does all kinds of stuff for the film and her career, and we want to learn more about becoming a filmmaker. So, Mindy, welcome back. Thanks. It's great to be here. Do you, I'm sorry. Do you have an official title in regards to the Girl Who Wore Freedom? Uh, that's a great question. I, I don't know. Uh, marketing specialist might be like closest <laughs> to what I'm doing. When I ask people, uh, you know, what, what's your in my line of work, I have to ask people what they do for a living and I have to write something down and, and people, almost everyone stumbles at that question. They're like, uh, I don't know, say, you know, then they make something up that they think works. So, Hey, so just since you're talking about your work, Josh Lindsay, and we have people that are listening, why don't you just give a little plug if you, if you want to, for what you do? Well, I'm sure there's a lot of wannabe filmmakers out there who want to invest money. And if that's the case, Call me, right? Uh, I, I, I'm just kidding. That wasn't a solicitation for that. But what I do is uh, financial planning. I help people retire, get out of debt, protect their family. So it's financial services. And, and how uh, can they reach you if they're interested in your services? <clears throat> Goodness. Uh, you can find me at on Twitter. If people are on Twitter at JQ Lindsay. And that's Lindsay with an A. Uh, or you can find my company website. It's primerica.com forward slash Joshua Lindsay. And you can learn all about me there. Awesome. Excellent. Thank you for sharing. I will say Christian and her husband are clients as uh, at least one of, or if not two of your children. And Jason is a client. Yes, we're very happy clients. You do a nice job, Josh. We really appreciate you. Thank yeah. you. And Josh is very, very responsive whenever I bug him about, hey, how, how's uh, how's this going or whatever. He's always like, ah, okay, yeah, sure. <laughs> and he tells me all sorts of good news. <laughs> it's not true. I just want to make you feel good. I'm just kidding. All right. Enough about that. Um, today, first of all, before we jump in to Mindy's life and career, Christian, do you have any updates on the Girl War Freedom or the Brave Dutch? I do. Today is our big day. Today, uh, we are, you know, I'm not, but uh, our team is pitching uh, in a, to Netflix at an in-person meeting uh, in out in LA. And so we are super excited about that. I'm on pins and needles trying to find out like, you know, what's happening over there. 
Uh, so that's super exciting. And tomorrow is our big L'Oreal event. So we're, um, I'm getting all ready for that. David Chapman is going to be in the Q and a and Jeff Kurtenacker is going to be joining us. So, uh, we're looking forward to more people learning about the film and celebrating our amazing veterans on veterans day. Uh, so we also get to celebrate their spouses. Um, just a fun fact, whenever I've been talking to veterans, what they care most about is not their own recognition, but they really would like their wives and their families to be recognized. And I've heard that so much from so many veterans um, that I make it a point to really honor their family and their spouses where we're in person. So if you're ever seeing a veteran, um, I really would strongly encourage you to encourage and thank the people that they're sitting with or standing with, or, you know, if you know them, go and thank their spouses. They often get forgotten and neglected. And I know they sacrifice um, almost more than the veterans themselves, quite honestly. I say that as a family member with two boys in the military, um, you know, we've sacrificed a lot to have our sons serve. So, yeah, just my little plug for Veterans Day. Back to Netflix, <clears throat> I imagine you've instructed your people at the meeting to call you immediately after the meeting. Is that what you did? Oh, I did. And I just sent an email like, I know we're not going to get a big response today. I'm sure that they're not going to walk out with a check, but um, could you just tell me if their interest is peaked? Like, can you give me some feedback? Uh, so we'll see. I'm, you know, I know it's a long process. I've now been in this business long enough to know, uh, never get your hopes up too high because it's just, a bad idea, a bad idea. So here's another word of advice. If you're uh, pitching to gain finances, if you're pitching to a distributor, if you're pitching to donors, I mean, I have always thought, you know, first I was like so excited and think, oh, this is going to happen. Now it's always the other way around. Nothing is going to come of this meeting. Nobody is going to make this donation, get over it and move on. And, uh, you know, hope for the best at some point. Encouraging words by Christian <laughs> and for all you young, hopeful filmmakers out there, never get your hopes up too high. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But then you, you get to be surprised rather than disappointed. So, you know, <laughs> I'll say yeah. I, I, I was joking, but I remember an interview with Brian Cranston, famous for Breaking Bad, one of the greatest television shows in the history of TV. He uh, gave advice on auditioning because as an actor, you audition all the time and it's just no, 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 no. And he just said, he totally took the focus off the results and it was just how many auditions could he get on? It was like the next one, the next one, the next one. And he didn't worry. Like he just did the audition and left and like didn't follow up. Didn't, you know, he wasn't concerned and emotionally that's gotta be better for you than waiting by the phone, you know, hoping someone calls. Well, I can speak to that directly because that's exactly how I work. I mean, I got to that point. That's how I learned that skill in filmmaking now is as an actress before, you know, you think that everything rides and falls on this one audition and, oh, I've got to make it. Oh, I've got to make it. You know, I've got to win this. 
And it is not a matter of that at all. It really is a matter of numbers. And so you learn that sooner or later, you know, a certain amount of auditions and, you know, it's been in my voiceover world, it's usually, you know, 50 to one in the on-camera or um, print world, it's like a hundred to one. So, you know, you've got to crank out these auditions in order to get a job. And so you just keep moving through them. You don't worry about your really how well you did after you get to a certain point, because you know, you're good. You're not looking for that booking to validate your skills. You know, you're good. And you realize you may not be their flavor of the day. And that's what it really comes down to because they have so much work to put together a much bigger picture. And so, I mean, now I'll audition a ton. And when I get a job, I'm like, did I audition for that? Like I have no memory of auditioning for it and it comes in and it's a big surprise and I'm so excited. And I do think that's a really good rule of thumb for filmmaking as well. When you're pitching stuff, just keep moving forward. Um, don't get too depressed about the rejections or things that don't come through. If I would have, I mean, think about this. Do you remember Cindy Boyd's story where she told me back, you know, in October or November uh, that she was going to give me $15,000 and then ghosted me. And I didn't hear from her for six months. And then I stayed up all night. I prayed all night. I told God, this is it. I get money tomorrow or I'm done. And the next day she sends me an email and says, I'm sending you $25. I know I'm $25,000. I know I said $15,000. I'm sorry. It's been so long, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, what? So, you know, you'd much rather have that situation than pining for every good thing to happen. So are we teaching people to give God an ultimatum? Is that what that was about? <laughs> No, no, it was not an <laughs> ultimatum. Mine was, I'll do whatever you want. You want me to keep working on this film though? I'm going to need a budget. If you want me not to work on this film, I'll go home and I'll be happy to be with my family. It was really, I'll do whatever you want, God. You just need to show me. So no ultimatums with me and God, that's for sure. I was teasing. All right, well, let's, let's shift gears. We got Mindy on here all the way from near Nashville, Tennis is right near Nashville. I'm, I'm in Nashville. Yeah. You are in Nashville. Yeah. Wow. You can actually say that. That's, that's I can. I can. It's it's on my uh, my street address. <laughs> All right. Well, let's remind people, uh, Mindy, how, how did you even get involved with the Girl Who Wore Freedom to begin with? Yeah, that, that's a great question. So I have been a listener of the Holy Post for a while, and it was one of those episodes where Phil was talking to Christian about um, her projects and what she was doing. And, you know, I'd heard her talk about the girl who wore freedom for a little bit. I think I'd even looked it up and um, it's like, wow, that's a that's a really cool project. Um and in this particular episode, I remember Phil saying, you know, Christian, I think you are the only uh, evangelical female documentarian that I know of. And uh, she said, yeah, I think I'm the only one I know of, too, or something like that. And uh, and. I am also a uh, female documentarian, whether or not I fit evangelical depends on who's throwing out that <laughs> word and how they define it right now, but I definitely come from that background. Um, and I was like, man, you know, I, 
I sure would love for her to know she's not the only one, you know, and um, yeah, I just think that's a deep human need we all have is to know we're not alone. And so I found her on Instagram and it was one of those where I was like, well, if, you know, if she writes back great, if she doesn't, at least I kind of threw it out there and maybe, you know, it'll be a little encouraging. So uh wrote her on Instagram and was just like, Hey, just so you know, I'm here too. Um, you know, not definitely not as far as you are. I don't have a feature out. Um, I don't even have a short out, but, um, you know, I'm also in this world and, and trying to tell real stories about real people and, uh, see, see what happens there. Um, it also didn't hurt that I'm the granddaughter of, uh, three world war two vet veterans, uh, including oh. my grandmother who was an army nurse, uh, during world war two. And so, um, you know, of course, because of that, the story hit deep with me. And so when we got talking and she asked if I could help out with some of the stuff they had going on, I, I was in. That's awesome. One of the so, best decisions I ever made. I got to tell you that we're so <laughs> thankful to have you just in fairness to the other evangelical filmmaker documentary that also wrote me, there are at least three of us, uh, now, so that was really nice to know. And the other one I met at the Julian Dubuque international film festival when her film was there, which was super cool. That is really cool. I think we need to have a meetup sometime. I'd love to meet for her sure. Too. For sure. So most people, when they want to make films, typically think of something more narrative Hollywood style type mm -hmm. blockbuster. What, what's your interest in why documentary? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I fell in love with real stories about real people, which is, you know, what, how I define doc documentary anyways. Um, when I was working in the nonprofit sector. So to go way back, um, I fell in love with telling story through the medium of video when I was in high school. And so we're talking early 2000s. Um, I saw Lord of the Rings come out and just watched my entire class get wrapped up in this story and be motivated by it and get driven by the characters and want to see change because of it. And I'd always loved stories. I'm a big reader. I was a theater kid in high school. Um, but I was like, oh, this, this is what I want to do, you know? And this was back before the internet was what it is today. Uh, this was before social media, really. This was um, like the only regular video content you saw was TV and movie theaters at that point in time. Um, and so, you know, I'm like, oh, I'm going to do this. So I did a couple projects in high school, borrowed my friend's dad's handy cam, you know, and made, made my friends, friends run around barefoot in the woods because no hobbits don't wear shoes. So you can't either, um, you know, uh, and um, made a couple videos, just ate, slept, ate, slept, drank it, you know, um, and was like, this, this is what I'm going to do. And everybody was like, so what, you're gonna have a TV show? I'm like, no, I don't think so. I don't know. Um, but just decided I'd pursue it however I could. Um, my parents were very supportive. However, they were also very clear of you will be responsible for your own bills and you will need to pay them as an adult. And so whatever you do needs to make money. Um, and because of that, they pushed me to not go to film school, but instead to get a more traditional degree. Um, and so I got a, a BA in communication, um, which was as close as I could get uh, at the time. I did a few film related classes, but it had not become something that a lot of colleges were offering a lot of education in at the time. Um, and so, you know, with both the ultimatum of you need to make money and um, still loving the, the 
medium. Um, I ended up kind of going into the nonprofit sector uh, because um, during the time that I was in college, social media started happening. Uh, the internet became a much more video friendly place um, and it has continued to be so. And so all of a sudden everybody was needing video to tell their stories and nonprofits were starting to realize, oh, hey, this is a way we can attract donors and this is a way we can you know, communicate what we do. And so um, I did marketing videos for, for nonprofits for a long time. Uh, they call it communications because nobody in nonprofit wants to talk about marketing, but it's marketing. <laughs> um, and uh, particularly the last nonprofit I worked for, um, I was in-house with them for over six years. Uh, we worked with families and kids and I got to travel around the U.S. and even some internationally um, helping tell the stories of these kids that we served and these families and really started to see uh, how, you know, nonfiction storytelling through video uh, was really powerful, both for the people who watched it and also for the people who participated in it. Um, and uh, just loved doing it, uh, create some great friendships through interviewing people and through, you know, doing these videos. Um, and so when I left nonprofit uh, almost three years ago now, um, I kind of thought that was over. And I was like, well, you know, I, I continue to do it for marketing when I can. Um, but a producer friend of mine who's involved in the Nashville film world uh, got me looped in on a documentary project she was working on. I got to talk to the director, producer, and the uh, cinematographer on the project and was like, wait, what? wait, y'all do this as a career? <laughs> like you get, you get paid to do this? Like long form nonfiction storytelling through video. That's amazing. And I didn't know that that was a thing. Um, and that's the point that I started going, maybe I could do this. And so I actually asked the cinematographer on that project. I was like, do you think someone with my skills could learn to do what you do? And she said, yes. And actually offered to give me a little mentoring along the way to, to help me do that. And so that's the point I said, all right, I want to do this. I want to be a documentary cinematographer. Did did she give you any advice on you have to go to school or, or what you needed to do to make it? Yeah, yeah, she did give me some good advice. Um, so we talked about it. So she did go to film school. She's got an MFA in um, cinematography. Uh, for me at this point, that's not really an option. And I told her that, you know, I'm not at the point where I can invest in that. Um, and I also don't want to move to New York or LA at this point. And so we kind of have looked at it through the lens of what does it take to do this without moving to New York or LA? And thankfully she's uh, really motivated to help more people develop solid documentary skills um, outside of those major markets, because she thinks it will add to the diversity of our storytelling capabilities. If there are more people with high level storytelling skills outside of those areas, she feels like she gets parachuted in a little too often. Um, and so, uh, one thing she said to me is you need to get on set. You need to get on more sets. You need to learn how, how crews work. Uh, you need to work your way up through camera department. If you can, um, figure out how all that works and just get experience. You know, if you can get documentary experience, great, but for where you are, she said, you know, whatever experience you can get, uh, get it and start learning how bigger budget projects move. Should we give this wise woman a name and, <laughs> and just like give her a little props and talk about maybe her project so people could look her up? 
sure. Yeah. Her name is Emily Topper. Um, she was the uh, cinematographer, the DP actually on uh, Miss Americana, the Taylor Swift documentary that's available now, um, as well as many, many other projects. Uh, she's fantastic. So yeah, look her up, watch her work. Um, she does a lot of really cool stuff. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and she also has a, has a huge heart for passing on what she knows. And I've been a beneficiary of that. And I'm really grateful. Well, there, there are enough successful filmmakers out there with careers that did not go to film school. Yes. Uh, it just, in, in my experience, what I was told, the only reason to go to film school is to have access to free cameras. And <laughs> that's, that's a pretty good reason because cameras are expensive. <laughs> but today, I mean, the reality is you can shoot a decent looking, you know, film on your phone. Yeah, uh, it's true. I mean, I do, but you know, it's, things have just gotten cheaper and easier. So you don't necessarily have to go to film school for that reason. So uh, yeah, I think experience is, and then of course it's just who, you know, right. You know, it's mm -hmm. as you, obviously you need the experience, but the more you're on sets, the more you people meet you and, and Christian tr Christian can speak to networking and seeing the same faces over and over again. And they like you and they invite you to be part of projects and things like that. Yeah, let me just say one thing, uh, not to, you know, bash film school too badly. Another thing that I can think about, another good reason to go to film school is that not only do you have access to the cameras, but you have access to crew. One of the good things about going to school there is everybody needs to do something. So you have a sound department, you have a producer, you know, people in a production school, right? So all of those people kind of come together and they have to do projects and then you have things for your reel and you begin, it just gets easier to make something and to figure out how to work together as a team because it's already built in. When you don't go to film school, you have to begin creating that for yourself. And so a lot of people jump onto projects and they do it for free. Then they do the networking and they find other people. They find a sound guy, they find a producer, they find a wardrobe person and they get together and they decide to make something together as well. Um, so both are valid pathways, um, you know, for sure. I mean, Mindy and I are both examples that that way does work. Um, it's just different. And I think both are valid anyway. So go ahead, Mindy. What do you think? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting. So one of the things I'm doing to get on set and to gain experience and start networking is I'll take a job on set called PA, uh, production assistant, which is, um, as most people in production know, like bottom of the ladder, uh, very low pay. Like I haven't worked for this little money since high school, <laughs> um, sort of, uh, job. Um, but you do get on set and you get to see how everything works and you can be assigned to any department at any point to help out with what they need. And, uh, or you can be bringing coffee, you know, you, you don't know. Um, and, uh, yeah, so it's been interesting. I've had this conversation with a lot of fellow PAs. Some of them are like me and they've been out of school for a while. Um, and like, for me, this is almost kind of like a second career. It's adjacent to what I've done, but it's a it's a little bit of a, of a turn. Um, and so I'm needing to rebuild a network and gain some experience. Um, and then some of them are either still in high school or, or straight out of either high school or college. And so we've had a lot of interesting conversations. Um, and, you know, one of the things I 
recommend they look at, and Josh, you can probably speak to this too. I'm like, just, you know, look at how much you're spending on film school or college. And like, are you going to be able to make that back if you're going into debt for it? And, you know, is, is it, is it going to pay back or is it something you can work your way into? And it depends on, sometimes it depends on what department you want to go into. I've heard that film school's sometimes more beneficial for writer directors than some of the more technical, um, roles like cinematography or sound, but I think it also depends on the program uh, that you go to. So uh, yeah, it's a discussion we have amongst ourselves in the lower echelons of the film production world. Um, but I'll also say like showing up, uh, being there, uh, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Like I've had jobs where I've worked my heart out as a PA and all they want to do is hire me back as a PA. And I have to decide like, <laughs> how how long am I willing to work as a PA for them? Like, are they actually going to help me invest in my future or are they just looking for good cheap labor? Because, um, you know, to succeed as a PA, basically you have to show up on time and work hard. And if you can do those two things, you're a good PA, <laughs> um, pretty, pretty low bar. Um, but, you know, sometimes I've uh, had people be like, hey, what, what do you really want to do? And um, there's one DP in town who's been really great about it. In fact, we met uh, in a Zoom mixer for the local filmmaking group. And he was uh, he followed up. He was like, hey, you seem motivated and like you work hard. <laughs> I, I like to keep track of those people. We should talk. And so I got to talk to him and uh, he started offering me some PA positions on some gigs he was doing. But he was like, you know what? it's PA, but I'll make sure you get to touch a camera and I'll teach you what I know. And so he would take that job and use it as an educational opportunity. Uh, we did that a few times and I kind of got to this point where I was like, man, I'm getting his PA jobs. Um, what I want to do is AC or be a camera assistant because that's the next step into camera department. And so I texted him and a couple other DPs I knew who had been mentor type figures. And I was like, hey, so I'm getting all these general PA offers I'm not getting a lot of opportunities to AC. I, I know I've gained some of the skills to be a second AC, you know, should I keep PAing? Sometimes camera feels like it's really its own silo. What do I need to do here? You know, I'm willing to put in the work. I want to stay humble. I want to be hungry <laughs> here, you know, but I don't, I'm not a lifer PA, you know, um, some people are, and you know, it's, it's good pay for good work. And so that's what you enjoy. That's, that's great. Um, one of them wrote me back and he said, yeah, most people who are long-term PAs, they want to go into production. They want to be a producer. He said, so you, you're right. You don't want to get stuck there. Um, start calling yourself an AC. Tell people you're an AC when they call. Uh, That's exactly what you do. You find a, uh, an office that's empty and it has a desk. You sit behind it and you just start barking orders to people and you just <laughs> charge. <laughs> call yourself whatever you want. Next thing you know, you are running the show. I've seen it a hundred times in movies. It works every time. <laughs> Just don't fall in love with somebody and you'll be fine. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, working on that. Um, yeah. Let me that too, real quick. Um, the acting world I found is exactly the same. When I first came out of school, I couldn't within good conscience call myself an actress. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't. I felt like an imposter because I really had no long resume. I felt like if anybody talked to me for five minutes, they would learn I really am not an actress. I'm just a wannabe actress. And so it was super hard. And then I did get that note at some place like you are, you've had the training, step into the role. And, you know, it is true the whole saying of fake it till you make it. 
you know, if you have the skills and you know you can do it, then you do need to put it on your resume and sell yourself as that if you want a job as that. And that goes across any entertainment job, I think. And so, you know, I think that advice was really right on. Even yours, Josh, even though you're joking, it is sort of the same thing. <laughs> there, there is something to it. And I will say it's something I struggle to do because I feel like I need to be ultra qualified to be like, yeah, I'm a good AC, you know? Um, and I, I've realized in the last month that I can honestly say that now, whereas a month ago I was like, ah, and I think I sent that text about a month and a half ago. I was like, I don't know, but I will also say like, I needed some AC credit because every, every credit I had was PA, even if I had touched the camera, even if I had helped change lenses, like I had, I only had PA credit. So if someone followed up on my resume, they would have been like, no, she was a PA. What are you talking about? Um, if I, if I had, you know, tried to fudge it a little bit. Um, so one of my other DP friends wrote back and he said, you know, I always encourage people not to niche too hard too early because you know, networking is everything in this business. So just kind of look at your opportunities and, and decide what's worth it and what's not. Um, but then on my next job with him, he gave me a title bump and he credited me as AC. <laughs> and that was the start of my AC credits. And all of a sudden I'm starting to get calls uh, for AC work. And um, so it was kind of both. And like, I had to decide for myself, yes, I really can do this, but I also needed someone to come alongside me and give me that credit so that I could prove to the outside world that I'm capable of doing it. Yeah. And I think you, you have people like, sorry, Josh, I think you have people like that in the business who will do that. And you mm -hmm. have to seek out those people. I mean, I am that way. I brought young people on in this business who want to make a career. And we've sort of had this thing, you know, you do the work well, I'll give you an opportunity to do something above your pay grade at the moment. We'll work on it together and you can earn that credit. And at the same time, you'll earn, you know, a recommendation from me. And there are those people out there you've named two. Mm -hmm. um, I've watched Josh do this. An element of Josh's business is to take people in and do that exact same thing. And so there are good hearted people out there that want to give others a step up. Yeah, it's, it's huge. And I think two things I've had to learn that to both trust that people want to do that. Like I want to do that for other people, but for some reason it's hard for me to believe that other people want to do that for me. And two, uh, to be willing to ask for it. Like I would rather it just happen, <laughs> but it, it pushes me outside my comfort zone to have to ask for it. Like the day I sent that text, I probably spent 45 minutes pacing my house before I hit send on that text. Cause I was so like nauseous about having to kind of put myself out there a little bit and say, Hey, this is what's going on. Can you help me? One piece of advice I, I've been given, I think applies to a lot of industries is, you know, instead of going to someone and say, hey, would you give me a shot? Will you hire me? Is going to someone and say, hey, can I take you out for coffee or lunch? I'd like just to learn from you and, and ask questions like, how did you get started? Um, how'd you go from there? What schooling, whatever, what advice would you give? What would you do differently? And A, you, you often get just great advice, but B, you're now creating a network and see that could actually lead to things potentially. It may not, but um, now you're just getting in front of people. And so, um, uh, yeah, just putting yourself in front of people, but posturing yourself and I want to learn. I'm not asking anything from you except your knowledge, just that I'll buy a coffee or whatever. 
Yeah, exactly. And I've, I've seen that work some too. Um, one of the things I've asked is who do you know who's an AC who might be willing to talk to me? And I've gotten to talk to several ACs here in the local market um, and actually some in LA as well um, who are really good at what they do and, and ask some questions. It's funny, sometimes people aren't expecting the questions. So they're like, oh, let me think about that. But um, yeah, that's been that's been really helpful. And I'll also ask, like, who do you know who I should talk to? Um, and that's been a really interesting way to, to make some connections too. Um, but yeah, Josh, that's great advice. And I'm, I'm really glad you're giving that to people. Yeah, that is well, good. One of the first people I met uh, was actually uh, an animator at DreamWorks and he worked on Prince of Egypt. And I my mom knew someone who knew someone whose son was there and they got me on the phone with them. And his advice to me was, if you want to work in live action, don't ever work for an animation studio. So when I got offered my first job at an animation studio, I took it immediately. <laughs> <laughs> and now I'm not in film anymore. So there you go. You got you to get the advice and you got to listen to the advice. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah, I was well, thinking the only person on this podcast who went to film school is not at all involved in <laughs> in filmmaking other than he's hosting this podcast and he yeah. knows he knows how to host this podcast yeah <laughs> well and he also is uh, you know on the movie proposal podcast so he is reviewing film and mm. i think his contributions on the movie proposal are important i mean he's a great film reviewer i think um and so he does learn a lot about that because he watches a lot of film, but I mean, he learns stuff in school. And I, I do think it's got to be a challenge for you, though, Josh, because it is such a love of yours, just like it is for Mindy. I mean, you do love film so much. Uh, I do. And I, I don't. The movie proposal is a fun hobby. Anyone can talk about movies. I, I do have a high respect for people who create things good or bad, the fact that you, you took the risk to put yourself out there, which in, in my mind is different. And I, in my opinion, you know, I just put that kind of stuff on hold uh, simply because being a provider and, a, and a, a, you know, a dad and all that, I took precedent. I just chose a different way to do it. I know there's filmmakers who have families out there and they make it work. I just chose a different route. That's all. I just hit pause for now and you know, we'll get back to it later. Yes, you will. You know, I wanted to pick up um, on something that you guys are talking about. I remember when I first came to Chicago, I was a part of this thing called the um, Chicago Film and um, Chicago Film Meters. Uh, I don't know. Chicago Actors and Film Meetup Group. That's what it was. I don't know if they have those still, but it was a meetup group where you sign up for this place and you get together and you meet and you talk about things. And so I was a part of this group for a while. And so I do strongly suggest, you know, you mentioned a group that you were involved in there in Nashville. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of those things for production people where you can join those groups. You learn about the market that you're in. You learn about opportunities at those groups. And, and you meet people, you know, the networking is there. One thing that I did differently than a lot of people did in the group I was in, this of course was an actor's group and they happen to be particularly needy people. I can say that because I am one of them. And so they would, um, they were always after what that other person could do for them. And there was this attitude shift that I felt like really needed to take place. And I think it's industry-wide, you know, people can smell that neediness and that, you know, do something for me-ness a mile away. And if you go into any situation 
uh, where you want to talk to somebody or invite somebody to lunch or whatever, they can sense it. And so like actors would come to all of these other events that weren't actor related, but they were film related. And their whole objective was to meet a writer, producer, director, give them their card, give them their resume, just so they could get something. And, uh, you know, every director I knew at the time or producer Sorry, would- you say that again? That was my <laughs> Apple Watch. Sorry about that. Hi, Siri. <laughs> um, every- Yes. Every actor, you know, or every director or producer would say, I hate it when they do that because now I've got this card that they spent money on or this resume and bio that they spent money on that I'm going to put in the trash, you know, and they really don't want to know me. They just want to know what I can do for them. And Mm -hmm. so I was listening to these people say all these things. And I realized that truthfully, if you do have that end in mind, what can you do for me today? Nobody's going to want to talk to you. And in when you do the volunteering or when you ask someone for lunch, I think it's really important to actually care about that person and to learn about that person. Or if you're going to volunteer for a project, genuinely care about it. You know, yes, you are trying to meet people, but it's a slight attitudinal shift which Mindy, I feel personally, you have been able to walk that line. You're upfront by saying, I am trying to grow in my career, but I also want to get to know you. And I want, I want to build a relationship with you. And I have found when I did that same thing, I've gotten some really good friendships out of it that have lasted a long time and have been much more um, fulfilling than just what that step up did for me. I mean, I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I I agree. In fact, I was just thinking along those same lines. Um, So the group I'm involved with here in Nashville is called Nashville Filmmakers Guild. Um, If you're in the greater Nashville area, come find us. We have a very active Facebook group. Um, But yeah, and in that Facebook group, there's several different kinds of posts I see. And one of them is, hey, looking for work. This is what I do. And they get very little traction. There's very little response to that. And others, hey, here's my reel, you know. So it's kind of that here I am, here I am sort of post like you're talking about. And there's not a ton of response to that. Um, I will say like the responses I've gotten have been like, if I'm legit looking for help, like there was a book about camera assistance that I was trying to find. And I put a post out, Hey, does anybody have this? I got some great responses to that, which also kind of gave me notice of, Hey, here's some experienced ACs in the national area who, you know, I might want to keep an eye on. Um, but then also just like showing up for other stuff. So, um, Nashville Filmmakers Guild does some really great educational, uh, opportunities. So anything related to camera department, I'm going to show up for, even if I'm not quite there yet, like they did a, a DaVinci resolve for DPs class. And, uh, you know, I'm not at the level where I particularly need to know that, but I'll need to know it someday. So I showed up, you know, (laughs) um, they also did some great camera assistant training, some other stuff. And just like by showing up to those and by participating in the class, um, offering value where I can, um, I, one, I'm much more comfortable with that than being like, Hey, here I am, (laughs) you know, uh, and two, I think it creates more reciprocity in the relationship. Um, because I mean, if you're in the film industry, unless you've gotten to the point where you've quote unquote made it uh, at whatever level you're you're trying to do that on, 
everybody's going to assume that you're looking for something. We all know that, you know, we all know that everybody's trying to, to level up and to grow. Um, and so I think, like you said, Christian, it works much better when you approach it from a relational standpoint than a transactional standpoint. Yeah. And I, I think that you need to bring something to the marketplace. So a typical example is I get a lot of, um, queries for, from like tour agencies, like here, here we are, this is what we do. Hire us, you know, for a tour to Normandy or whatever. There is one that stands out to me because they never say that what they're doing is feeding me history bits all the time. And I'm learning something new every single time. And so I wait for their emails because I'm like, Ooh, what are they going to say today? And it's not just your general history stuff. It's stuff I've never heard before. And so now they've stuck in my mind enough to mention them on a podcast. Um, Normandy tours. I think it is. I don't know. I have to go back and look at their exact name. Uh, but, uh, anyway, they're, they're amazing because they bring something to me. And I think, you know, in your group, if you were to, you know, bring something to that Facebook page, if I just want to offer you guys this, because this is what I learned today, people then begin seeing you as someone that brings value to a place mm -hmm. um, or to a group of people. Yeah. Yeah. So from a marketing standpoint, uh, the type of email you're talking about there is called a nurture sequence. It's probably very intentional on their part. It is very effective because you are showing up and you're providing value for potential clients before you ever ask for a sale. Um, if anybody wants more information on how to do that, we should talk. Uh, but uh, Speaking of the whole day job thing, that, that is my day job. Um, and, you know, Christian, you and I had talked about this, like, for the majority of people, besides, you know, Emily uh, Topper, who's a full-time documentary DP, that is how she makes her living. You know, for most of us who are outside of New York or LA trying to do this, like there's a pretty slim chance that this is our be all end all when it comes to paying the bills, the documentary work will be. Um, it doesn't have the budgets that narrative does. It doesn't have, um, the frequency that like commercial work does, you know, um, or even so, the payoff, like you don't get the same money for a documentary that you do for a narrative feature. Exactly. The investors aren't there. The, the ticket sales aren't there. You know, it's a very different form. And so I look at my marketing career as something that will hopefully run parallel to my documentary career. At this point, my marketing career is further along. And so I have more, <laughs> more visibility into that uh, continuing, but um, it, it helps keep me, it helps keep me from being in a place where I'm desperate for work, which I, for documentary work or for even film work, which helps keep me out of some situations that could be not so great. Um, in fact, I turned down a job this week, a job offer because I had some concerns um, about how they were running their project. And I was like, you know, just something's not right here. Um, and because I have this day job, I could say thank you, but no thank you, you know, and, and walk away um, without having to worry about can I make rent this month, you know. Um, and so, like, that's something I've seen you do as well. You know, you do high level doc work at this point, but you've also got other things going. Um, and that's something I've heard you talk about a lot on this podcast is, hey, you know, aspiring filmmakers, you probably are going to need it need a day job. So I'm, I'm curious about like your thoughts behind that and your methodology and how that's played out for you first far along in documentary as you are at this point to go, yeah, there's probably gonna be some other parts of my life too. 
Yeah, I will answer that in just a second. Jason raised his hand and had something oh. to say, and he hasn't spoken yet. And I love it when Jason pops in. So, Jason, what were you going to say? I just wanted to really reinforce what you have been talking about. How, um, so like networking with people on your level, it's kind of cool to just be like, hey, you know, let's get to know each other, let's grab coffee, whatever. But a rule that Sean, my creative partner, and I have had since very early on in our creative relationship was we don't reach up to anyone without having something to offer them. And so whether that's knowledge or if that's, hey, we'll do some work for free or that sort of thing, it is always we are coming to the table and we are going to give you something. We don't want we're not asking for anything back. And that has led to some of the most fruitful relationships with producers and uh, eventually led to our current entertainment lawyer and all these other relationships that we have with people that we wouldn't have had if we hadn't uh, shown up and said, hey, we'll we'll do free animation for you because we like what you guys are doing. So I just want to say that I am where I currently am because of that exact thing that you guys are talking about and about being willing to give in, in the relationship instead of asking when you show up. Yeah, that's huge. So. What, what type of information have you found that people who are maybe a, a rung or two higher than you on the ladder are interested in? Well, so, um, Sean and I really early on in, uh, our production experience developed kind of what we did is we broke an animation program and made it way more useful <laughs> to make animation really quickly. And so, um, and it's, it's that other people have figured that out and it's a little bit less uh, proprietary what we, what we do now. Um, but we went to a producer and said, Hey, you guys have made some awesome movies and TV shows and, and we want to make a show for you. Uh, we'd be willing to do it with a super small team. We'd be willing to do it for free. Do you have anything you want to put out? And so that was the kind of the information was we have a proprietary method that we've developed and we love and we think is really cool and has unique opportunities. And because of those unique opportunities, we can do something for you for free. So do you want to do something? And they said, yep. And <laughs> we're still uh, on a pretty much like every couple of months we have an email with this guy and we're still talking about that project, other projects. And it's led to, I don't even know how many people I've met because of having that relationship where he was like, oh, you should talk to so-and-so and you should talk to so-and-so. Like I met someone a month ago uh, over Zoom because he's like, oh, you guys should totally talk to him. And so, yeah, it, it's just been a really fruitful relationship and all because in 2017, we said uh, we'd love to help you. So that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a great story. And and I think to what we're talking about is it is an internal attitudinal shift. It's a very nuanced, it's a very thin line that we're walking, but it's a super important one. And I do think you talked about Mindy, something that I think it is all based on. And that is being grounded and not having to need you know, whatever this thing is, because that neediness and wanting to have is not what's driving you. Um, and so not only is having a day job important, I think grounding and a centeredness in who you are and how, you know, you're taken care of is super important. For me in particular, it happens to be my faith, my family, you know, that those balanced relationships, 
um, you know, I do trust that my needs are going to be taken care of, even if I may not see them today. You know, my day job is acting. My day job is voiceover work, print work, on-camera work. And that's just as iffy as documentary, not documentary filmmaking, right? But I now have to trust that if I, if I audition, if I do the things I'm supposed to do, work will come. Work will come to me. I have to be prepared and ready. I've told this story a lot. I remember when I was still in that fake it till you make it place and I didn't want to call myself an actress. Um, I saw Facing the Giants and this is so like, I don't know, cliche or whatever, but Facing the Giants was a movie back in the, what, like late 90s, early 2000s. I don't remember Jason Button Pushing Guy. You can look that up when Facing the Giants was. But my um, oldest son was in high school playing football at the time and our entire team had to watch it. It was a really big deal. And this um, football coach really wanted to turn this team around and he wanted to win and he, you know, but they were so tiny and um, there was a man that was going through and praying for the school and he cared about the school in general and their spiritual development. And uh, it was actually this coach that was really struggling to really have a centeredness and a, um, you know, a faith-filled life. And the guy came in there and said to him, I'm going to tell you a story about two farmers. One farmer prayed for rain. The other farmer prayed for rain, but he went out and plowed his fields. And that hit me hard because I really wanted to be an actress, but what was I doing to accomplish that goal? And so it, it made me realize that I needed to put in the work, but I also needed to trust that the rain was going to come and not live out of this neediness and grabbing fear that if I didn't do something, um, I was going to go hungry or I was going to be out on the street. So a lot of what we're talking about, yeah, they're practical tips, but I think we got to think beyond that in terms of, you know, in terms of our, the psyche of our soul and where our needs and motivations come from. Mm -hmm. It was 2006. It came out in 2006. <laughs> 2006. Okay. <laughs> Early 2000s. Yeah. So Jason uh, and Josh, what do you guys think? Is that you agree, disagree? Well, I'm kind of neutral on the subject, to be honest with you. I'm just kidding. Um, I was actually saying, let's <laughs> say we're, I was going to wrap up, but I, I don't want to take any more, more time. I, I think you guys covered it. I think drop mic. <laughs> Jason. And I agree. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Wow. Mindy, that was just, uh, you're an inspiration. We're so happy to have you on the team. Uh, you really have um, brought so much added value just by, yes, the actual work you do, but the relationship with me, I've just been so blessed by you. Uh, our team has grown. Uh, one of the things I want to mention is that Mindy is the one sort of running our Patreon right now. So she's the one that everybody's been communicating with. And uh, Mindy, why don't you talk a little bit about what's going on with Patreon right now, kind of what's coming up, some exciting stuff that's happening. Yeah, yeah, we've got a lot of exciting stuff. Uh, first off, I'll say I'm really grateful to be part of your team. I value my relationship with you as well. Um, you are also an inspiration. Uh, Josh and Jason, you too as well. Uh, thank you for being a big part of making this podcast happen. Uh, this podcast has been a huge resource for me through trying to develop a documentarian career um, just to be able to go back. And I think I listened to 
all the episodes in the course of two weeks uh, at one point when I was trying to catch up. Uh, it's just, there's so much there. It's amazing. Um, also, shout out to our Patreon supporters who are wonderful. Um, thank you for your continued support, for sticking with us through kind of a dip in content. Uh, both Christian and I got super busy for a minute and we have not uh we we dropped the ball a little bit I, I dropped the ball I'll say that uh and um but we are back there's exciting stuff happening today on Patreon um we have Christian's Guide to Normandy where Christian sat down and gave you all the tips on the places to stay all the best eats all the exciting things to do uh when you plan your trip to Normandy so whether you're going over around the uh, D-Day commemorations uh, in the spring, or if you're going to plan to go some other time, you're going to want this resource. Uh, there's so much there, uh, and it's all based on experience and the relationships she's formed over there. Um, I'm, I feel like I learned so much just, you know, doing the layout for it, but it's a PDF available to our Patreon supporters. Um, also, we are in the middle of uh, developing a pre-sale list for DVDs, and when uh, those DVDs become available, we are going to offer a discount, a significant discount for our Patreon supporters. So if you are looking for a DVD of The Girl Who Wore Freedom um, at a uh, great value, we are going to make that available to our Patreon supporters here shortly, probably by the time this podcast airs. So go check out Patreon if you haven't. And for those of you who are there with us, uh, all 13 of you, we are so grateful for you and your support. Um, and we can't wait. We've got more exciting stuff coming up too. Uh, December 1st, Zoom conversation with Christian and with me about some decisions we have to make. We want your input. So mark that on your calendars, Patreon supporters. We will see you there. Yeah, I'm so excited about that. I can't really wait. We're making that uh, December 1st uh, live Zoom for every giving level on Patreon. So now is your time, you know, hop in. You can have a conversation with me. It's going to be real face-to-face -face conversation, just like this regular Zoom call we're having now. And um, because I really see our Patreon supporters as our foundation and I want them in the conversation. One of the things we are going to talk about with them is the rebranding effort. James, I'm really hoping that you will be there. We care very much about your, uh, your input. Uh, in fact, you were the first one to like the guide to Normandy today. That was very inspiring to us. So thank you so much. Um, and you know, that, um, I see you guys as really, um, our first test market for everything. And we, um, are going to listen to what you have to say, whether it's about the rebranding or whether it's about the brave Dutch or Maybe you have ideas of something we could do to go even farther to help raise money and pay for the film um, or whatever. So uh, please mark your calendar December 1st. What time is it, Mindy? Do you remember? Uh, hang on just a second. I believe it's 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. Let me pull up my calendar. We'll send out a link for that. We will. Join yeah. like, um, you know, any other Zoom call. Uh, now, the one thing to tell you is after this first Zoom call that's open to everyone, uh, the next Zoom calls, we're going to try to do one a month, but those will be for a certain giving level. I don't remember what level that is, but we just want to start the first Zoom one at every donation level. Mm -hmm. We want to see all your faces. We want to talk to all of you. Yeah, that's for sure. So, and if you haven't joined, now's a great time to do it. So you'll get the guide to Normandy. We also put out this great travel video for the mess doc uh, artist that uh, did an amazing thing in the Hague. So you can see that by joining Patreon. So, uh, and then 
you I mean, I'm telling you, it's not long before you can get this DVD at a cheap rate. So uh, now's the time to join. Anything else, Mindy? That's all I can think of. This has been so fun. Thank you all for letting me come on. Yeah, it was great. All right. Well, hey, everyone. Thank you for listening to Documentary First, where we believe everyone has a story to tell and you can be the one to tell. Yes, you can. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to Documentary First. We really appreciate your partnership with us. We can't do any of this without you. So thank you so much for listening, for donating, and for following along on our journey. If you are able to make a donation this week, we would really appreciate it. We are supported by donors who give us $100 or less, so anything helps. Also, if you're able to share the news about The Girl Who Wore Freedom with your friends and family, please do that on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or email. And sign up for our newsletter at thegirlwhowarefreedom.com. Please go to thegirlwhowarefreedom.com slash donate to make a donation today.